Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Past the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. My name is Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He is my real-life C-3PO. I'll let you figure out what that means. It's... <laughs> oh, man. Here I was hoping for like the poor imitation of Josh Lyman, but I'll take what I can get, I suppose. I mean, you can be multitudes of things. If you had to pick a character out of the West, which character from the West Wing do I remind you of the most? Hmm. Yeah, it's gonna this, be Josh. It's gonna be Josh. Yep. Yeah. Good. Then, then the plan is working. <laughs> I, I was trying. I was trying to like figure out somebody else because that seemed too on the nose. Nope. But it's. I feel like you've intentionally crafted your personality based on that. So. I it, well, it did. You know, it was a very formative time in my life when I was watching that show for the first time. So. So tonight, guys, we are going to be talking about teams, duos, matchups, uh, relationships, duos in Star Wars, like some C-3PO and R2-D2, who may or may not make our list as we talk about the uh, the best and buts, the top and bottom of uh, duos in Star Wars. And per usual, Drew and I have talked very little about this, except for <laughs> coming up with an idea, which is intentional. We've both thought yeah. about it a lot, but we don't know the rules or the parameters that each other has set or how you are defining uh, what makes them successful or not. So it'll be really interesting conversation there. But uh, before we get to that, Drew, uh, what have you been Star Warsing lately? Well, it's I, I, I made um, two purchases today. I, I bought the... The Shadow of the Sith and a copy of Brotherhood. Is it called Brotherhood? The other the other book that came out like a week and a half ago. It is yes. Okay. I hope that they're good. Um, I know a lot of people have seemed to be enjoying them. I haven't even cracked them open yet because it was just been I just got them home not long ago, so I don't really know what to expect. I'm not super. In. <sighs> I'm I'm hopeful that Brotherhood is good. I, I'm not as I don't have as high expectations for it as I would something else. And Shadow of the Sith, I'm hoping is good to flesh out that time period between, you know, Force Awakens and Return of the Jedi. The more information I think we get in that that era of th- time, I think the better. Um, so I'm I'm am looking forward to that one very much. So so I figured it was just time to go ahead and pull the trigger, put two two new book shel- books on the shelves, and uh, we'll see when they actually get read. I have no idea when I'm going to finish these things. Never mind even start them, I guess. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to now. Um, you've read both of them now, haven't you? I've read Brotherhood. Okay. Lindsay and I already uh, talked about that for Don't Burn the Sacred Text. Uh, and oh. if if people... Ha- it, it will be out by the time, uh, around the time that this episode comes out. Okay. Uh, so we had a new episode of Forever Star Wars. If you're not subscribed to the feed, make sure you go check yep. that out. New new release uh, for the first time in a hot second. So we pushed Don't Burn back to make sure we got that out uh, in time, which That's is exciting. Right, I had a bone to pick with Lindsay about her lack of appreciation for a certain third book and a certain trilogy about a certain uh, senator from Naboo. I don't know what you're talking about. You were not, and you, you were not a, 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 as 
you were not an enthusiastic enough defender of of that that book, and I, I was disappointed. I, I will say I will say this that in both the Queen's Hope episode and the Brotherhood episode uh, that will come out uh, around the same time as this, Lindsay does a really good job of convincing me towards her direction. <laughs> I have to applaud her. I have to she, applaud her on that. She is rather persuasive. I yes. still think you could have mounted a stronger defense than you did, but that's okay. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Brotherhood. I didn't really have to to defend much because it was it was a pretty great book. And I'll leave okay. it at that. Um, okay. As far as Shadow of the Sith, I'm about 300 pages in. Uh, it's about oh roughly 450 pages. It's a longer book, uh, but it is, so far, it does a couple things. One, it's one of the most fun just adventure books that we've had in Star Wars of late, um, where okay. it, it really just, in a good way, it feels like good legend stories where you're just with characters you really enjoy and you're going Uh on this great uh, adventure together um but you also get there's definitely a lot of stuff where you're like as an in-depth star wars fan you're like all right they're explaining rise of skywalker here uh and how we got there but i i have to give adam christopher credit that it never feels really forced uh which is quite the feat everything is it's very believable. It makes sense uh, for the overarching story so far. Now, again, I still have 150 pages, so there's there's right, plenty there's of time, time for it to go one way or another. And um, you know, for for both you and myself, Rise of Skywalker is is not anywhere near our favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, so I appreciate it getting flushed out more uh, in a a good way that doesn't feel like it's pandering and it also doesn't feel like it's trying to do cleanup work. Uh, even though in a sense, it kind of is doing a little bit of cleanup work for some of the things that, uh, some gaps in logic going, uh, across the sequel trilogy, which oh, I mean, whether you agree with, whether you, you like the sequel trilogy or you don't, uh, you know, there are undeniable gaps in, in the story. Which is fine. Star Wars has always had that. The prequels have it. The original trilogy has it. So it's really fun to get books that are uh, just really enjoyable to read that are, are filling those gaps. So I, I've i got that going on. I've had so many new books. I got my uh, my new Luke Skywalker tattoo. So yeah, I am I tattooed out. That. It looks great. It looks really, really good. Uh, I also got my Ahsoka tattoo touched up. So it's looking really sharp. Okay. And uh, got myself a new car, a uh, nice red car <laughs> that I named Amidala. So Aww. if you think I'm not a Padme fan and I didn't defend her enough, I named my vehicle after her, Drew. Yeah, well, that's all right. We'll we'll let it go for now. For now, yeah. I'll I feel try like to for let now. it go. I'm not sure. So which one are you going to read first? Are you going to do Brotherhood or are you going to do <sighs> Shadows of the Sith? I was literally just thinking about that question because... I'm wondering if I needed to do Brotherhood first because I'm afraid if I don't, I'm never going to get to it. Um, there are so many stories that take place in that prequel era, that era specifically, like the young Anakin, Pat, Padawan Anakin era. And I know a lot of them come from like you know those early to mid-2000s. I was in a bookstore today, and we know, we, I saw the shelf, and I put a picture of it on the Facebook group. That that had all of like the Jedi Apprentice and Jedi Quest books and like the old what was it called like adventure game books? Yeah, there's there, a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. There's so many of them that all kind of take place in the same time frame that I, I wonder if it's just overload 
and and maybe some of that is just stuck in my brain because I can't tell you that I've really read all of those things or, or even know what they are, but I feel like it's because there were so many of them in such a short period of time. I feel like it developed some kind of a stigma, and I'm and and, uh, and I'm trying to shake that off because that era in within the films and within the story just isn't where I like to li- sit and live. So I don't know. Maybe this will do it. I mean, the Queen's books really did a good job with me about showing that there's stories that can be told within that time frame that are more interesting than you might think. And I and I just don't know how long that momentum can be with you know kind of held up uh so i'm afraid if i don't do brotherhood quickly i'm never gonna actually open it although i am i'm mostly excited to try shadow of the sith but i kind of think i need to know that it works like i need you to finish it and i need Lindsay to read it so you guys can tell me if if it's if it's consistently quality if it's a good consistent quality all the way through that should be fine and that'll help spur me on to actually go read it. But if you guys are like, man, this is an up and down kind of thing, I don't even know about that. Well, I'm a little bit concerned about both of these books, really. I, w- I will say Brotherhood uh, picks up, like this is a very minor spoiler. It's not really going to ruin anything that happens in the book. But it, it picks up right when uh, Anakin is being knighted. Uh, and they're, they're having that ceremony. Okay. And so really... The bulk of the story, I mean, there's a a plot and everything, but the real bulk of the story is about redefining that relationship because they're not Padawan and Master anymore. They're Knight and Master, and both of them have to adjust to the fact that they're equals now uh, because, you know, they... They're both tight. They're titled knights because even though Obi Wan is on the council, it's like a temporary. Like they're having people fill in until they decide who's going to be on there, kind of thing. That part is right. kind of uh, whatever. But it's a good. I I would say Brotherhood one because to me it's one of the best books I've read in a long, long time. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it w- was one that I consistently wanted to pick up and spend time reading, and that's how I really measured: is am I carving out time to to read the book or am i just reading the book to get through it and i was carving out time to read uh this book and with all the one you've got queen hope queen's hope you've read recently so that kind of parallels with it and then you also have uh you know obi-wan just coming out and so you've got all that on your mind so i would suggest brotherhood first just because of all the content that's existing i think there's you just get more of you get a better feel for that time period and what's going on with those characters and and where it ends up as far as shadows of the sith it's all up so far there's no there's no down yeah um it, it's it's really really enjoyable um and like i said it's just it's a fun adventure book it's not trying to it's not trying to be too much which it's easy for a book like that to to do because it's talking about you know, Jedi and Sith and light and the dark, and you've got Lando and Luke, and you're dealing with Ray's parents, and you've got all of these things going on that are these big topics and big characters and are going to reinterpret how people see the movies. And it's easy to to really try too hard at that and push too hard Mm -hmm. and go overboard to where it's like, all right, like, it's apparent that you're just trying to impress us and redefine the movie. And I think Adam Christopher does a good job of just telling the story that he wants to tell that fits in with the films, uh, but isn't trying to be like the prequel to the uh, sequel trilogy, for lack of a better term. It's just 
trying to be the story of, of the history of what happens there and how these characters get where they are. Do you think it would have been better if it were, if Shadow of the Sith was one of the Road to Rise of Skywalker titles instead of the book that they used for that? I think it was called Resistance Reborn, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think so. Just because of the creative process, I feel like Adam Christopher does a really good job of understanding the characters and, and having time to marinate with that story of Rise of Skywalker allows for some more creativity and some more emphasis and getting to really take the time to understand what's important on screen and what visual what visually pops out on screen rather than just what's in a script part of my issue with resistance reborn is it had all that weight on it and it's a good story but it had to do too much because it had all that weight on it of telling the entire story of how the resistance rebuilt itself in between eight and nine and that's a lot for one book to do leading True. into the end of the saga. And I I personally prefer when we go back in time and, and fill in the gaps after the movies come out and after we've had that time. That's my preference just because I like to continually be able to go back to that story and develop it and, and enhance it and reinterpret it in new ways. And especially with content coming out so quickly now like right i honestly couldn't tell you what happened in resistance reborn other than <laughs> uh, uh i know uh zay miko is in it i know shriv makes an appearance like i know these characters that i really like pop up but other than that i don't remember what happened in it because you're in this rush of i've got to get everything in before rise of skywalker comes out True. where now I'm powering through this book because I think it's fantastic and I'm really enjoying it and I want to, but I'm also having the time to read it slowly to be able to absorb all the things and think about the film and, and how it all fits in. And okay, well, this character, character A is doing this and it's going to lead to, and I prefer that kind of storytelling. That's why I liked, you know, going back with the prequels. That's why I like, you know, uh, a book like Brotherhood coming out before Obi-Wan because you go back and now that I've seen Obi-Wan, it makes Brotherhood even better. And that's just my oh, preferred way of, of taking in canon. Um, but I, I would have to surmise, and I have no like actual evidence of this, but just logically it makes sense that having this movie for three years or whatever it's been now um gives somebody like adam christopher time to think about it and develop the story and he's in the nerd sphere so he's gonna hear you know what connects with people what doesn't kind of stuff and uh i think that permeates into the book which is pretty cool nice well we'll have to see what happens when we all get through them and we can finally catch up about it a book that's not a High Republic title. <laughs> not, uh, not a High Republic title. It's Those weird having them. They are coming, and I'm very excited for them. Um, but there's a lot of good duos in there. There's some good duos in uh, Shadow of the Sith, Luke and Lando. Oddly, a great duo. Uh, but ah. will they make the list? We will find out, because when we come back, we are going to talk about the best and buts of duos in Star Wars. <laughs> Oh, you know, Master, 
I couldn't find a speeder that I really liked. There he is, with the open cockpit and the right speed capabilities. You spent as much time practicing your saber techniques as you know which you would rival Master Yoda as a swordsman. I thought I already did. Only in your mind, my very young apprentice. It is time to get into the main content of this particular podcast episode <laughs> with your favorite duo, Brandon and Drew, talking Aww, about duos in Star Wars. You stole my number one. Ah, number one in your playbooks and number one in your hearts. That's a sports a movie I know reference. That thing. Hang on. Yep, that's a movie. Yep, there's, there's sports ball in it. But we're not talking about sports ball. We're talking about Star Wars. So for those of you who have not listened to our shows before... Top three, bottom three is a pretty simple format. The bottom three is going to be three uh, that we don't like, think didn't work, uh, have critiques over, etc. And then our top three is going to be uh, obviously like a normal top three. So we'll start with the bottom going from the least egregious to the most egregious. And Drew, I'm going to start this one off. My rules are basically for the bottom, what what groups don't fit, what uh, pairs don't mesh well together, um, don't tell the, they don't actually tell the story that was trying to be told, or they limit the character's uh, growth and, and expansion and what that character, one character or the other could become because of being stuck in the duo. I feel like my number three is going to surprise a grand total of zero people. <laughs> Because it's Mace Windu and Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold on. What? <laughs> so knowing that you, you have a terminal hatred of Jar Jar Binks plus Mace Windu, I can't wait to see who you blame more for their lack of success. It, it's There is one right answer. It's not... Either of them individually, it's them together that makes it the. Oh, oh no! Mo- it's the most unnecessary and unwatchable arc of the Clone Wars. It's the only one I will skip. Um, and and wow, that's saying something too. It it really is. It really like I will. I'll watch the droid episodes. I'm I'll, I might scroll on my phone a little bit while they're on, but I'll watch them. I like some of the stuff they do in there. In this. Mace is his usual unlikable self, which is fine. Jar Jar is his usual self, which is fine. But when you're trying to mix water and oil, it just makes the whole thing really (laughs) uncomfortable. And here's the biggest problem with it and why they really don't work. Because I've said all the time on here, I hate Mace Windu, but you're supposed to hate Mace Windu. That's his role in the story. You're not supposed to like him. You're not supposed to root for him even though he was technically right on some parts. I'll give him that. But <laughs> well, he, Some parts, he says. I'm, I'm growing as a human being, okay? Some okay. parts right now. I'll get there. Mm. But these are two characters that are designed in a way that makes that, like, Jar Jar, I hate saying Jar Jar is unlikable because I don't dislike Jar Jar. It's just he's not a character that I archetype that i like i'm not into the slapstick kind of goofy comedy like that it's just not my preference but he does what he's supposed to do but you have these two characters that just clash so much and you can't really have mace windu change because he needs to be mace windu in revenge of the sith and then you've got jar jar who 
is completely unlikable in this arc because there's a really uncomfortable angle with this duck queen character that just doesn't work and you have to watch jar jar make out on screen with a duck it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable uh and it it, it's probably my least favorite star wars period is is those three episodes uh it's really really rough and i really don't enjoy them and i really don't think they add anything of importance to the story overall uh that's not to say anything against the creators obviously put in a lot of hard work there but i don't think it works and i think pairing mace windu and jar jar binks together is just not a good combination because neither one can change that much and if you're gonna put oddballs together uh and and have this clash of personalities and these two characters that don't want to work together you have to have one of them change or both of them change and really neither one changes here and (laughs) so yeah it doesn't work for me Wow. Okay. I was not expecting that at all. I don't even know if I've watched those episodes of Clone Wars. Let me start with my rules then before we hit the hit my bottoms three. Um, for duos, when we kind of threw this topic out just randomly and instantly went with it before we put any kind of clarification on it, which is kind of the fun, I wanted to make sure we excluded, or at least I was going to exclude specific, uh, specifically romantic couples. I didn't want to include you know, Han and Leia um on this kind of list i wanted to remove that kind of an aspect i and i was trying to think like what makes a good duo what makes a bad duo what does a duo really do or accomplish and so i think for the good ones it's going to be combinations of personalities that you know they complement each other they're stronger as a team than they are individually but the bad duos was a really hard set of rules to define and and these rules are flimsy and and work for some of them but not for other ones here but a bad duo would either be something like two entities that are mirror images of each other they're kind of exactly the same or they're bad teammates or they're just they don't have an interesting or they have just a bland dynamic together they don't really offer anything new or interesting so having said that i want to put a giant asterisk next to my number three and that it basically violates all of these rules um my number three and again this is really like i had to find something to put in the number three slot because this one did not come easily at all one and two i think came pretty easily and quickly but number three i'm gonna say my my least favorite duo is star wars in general plus breakfast cereals (laughs) (laughs) so here's what happened for some reason and i can't really explain to you why this drove me up a wall but it drove me up a wall when we were at celebration and they had the limited edition obi-wan kenobi frosted flake cereal boxes where they were light-sided frosted flakes and they were dark-sided frosted flakes dark-sided ones just had chocolate frosting of some kind on it they were like limited edition celebration you know everybody gets a box blah 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 blah. and then they were selling on ebay for like 20 30 50 dollars a piece i was like this is the stupidest thing in the world and now i have seen that they're releasing the less than limited edition or slightly less limited i'm not really sure how you want to phrase it but now they're just on regular store shelves for 549 for a box so i got really frustrated with this for some reason one because if you're going to make it a celebration exclusive make it a celebration exclusive two don't make it cereal please just the the food tie-in products are starting to drive me crazy and so i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole about the dumb kind of like food tie-in products that have had star wars branding and just about everything you can think of has had some kind of a Star Wars label slapped on it at some point. Lettuce, 
that was a thing for a little bit. Um, Taco Bell during the episode one heyday uh, was a huge portion of the marketing promotionals uh, and all kinds of things. And I just, the more I looked at it, the more frustrated I got. It was like, just like, can we stop? Just, just, just stop. We don't need a limited edition Star Wars Pringle can. Um, it's just not worth it. Now, the giant asterisk to this is probably going to be those Pepsi cans from episode one because they were pretty cool. Even though they're dumb, they're still pretty cool. And I can't explain why. And it just kind of frustrates me that I that I still like them even though they're dumb. So that's kind of like that pairing of, uh, of the cereal breakfast cereals really just drove me up a friggin' wall. And I can't explain it any better than that. That was weird. Yeah, I, I warned you about this list. This list came together and I was like, okay, brain, I guess that's where we're going today. I does it not just bother you sometimes when you see a thing with a Star Wars sticker slapped on it and they're going to try and charge you an extra buck for it? Yeah. Yeah. It it does. I guess I get you, it you for the those, collectors. No, 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 I don't. I It's never been something I really concern myself with very much. It's cool when you see Star Wars stuff at the store to me like anywhere it's just like oh cool there's star wars or whatever it's cool yeah. to see it out but i i get your point like the collector item aspect of it i think it is way too overplayed and over well, like the yeah, pepsi can ones spin. is fine right but you can't spin like four different dorito bags as collectible items like in no universe does that is that a thing that works and you also have like situations where like with the Pepsi cans, I've heard stories of people who, you know, got the Pepsi cans and didn't like take the Pepsi out of it and it mm. ate out from like it <laughs> ate from the inside out and you just have like this rubbish can left over or people who have I heard a story recently of somebody who opened a 2002 Attack of the Clones cereal in 2022 and oh. ate it and Got sick. Surprise, surprise. I can't believe it. You mean to tell me that stuff so, doesn't age well? If you have Ugh. Star Wars lettuce sitting on your shelf, you should probably... <laughs> you don't have lettuce anymore. That's, yeah, I think, the point. Don't. You have this weird soppy bag of brown and green mush, and you should probably throw that away. We should really just make a, make a pack just to never buy these things again. I really wish we could. You mean to tell me that Star Wars is like one of the biggest property names in all of film and, and, and whatever kind of media needs promotion across Dole's products as well? I, I just I think it's the reverse. Come I think on. I think I would chasing it down and be like, please buy this lettuce. Look, it's Star Wars lettuce. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, it, these companies <sighs> take advantage of whether they I would not be surprised if, you know, Frosted Flakes is, like, paying Disney to have Obi-Wan Kenobi. That is a fascinating question. Who do you think pays the money? Like, do you think Kellogg's is paying, hey, please let us use your brand name? Or is Disney saying, hey, we want to buy advertising space on your boxes? Yeah. I don't know how that difference. would go. I don't understand that. And and like, is it consistent across across the different, like, oh, food man. brands? Or, how do I find that out now? <laughs> Quick, Phone. if you or someone you love works <laughs> in, in the uh, brand management department of, uh, I don't know, a major food production company, get in touch, I guess. There's got to be somebody who knows this information, right? There's got to be somebody who's written a tell. Actually, probably not. It's not since it's a Disney acquisition. They keep all their business things quietly under wraps. Hmm. 
I don't know. That's my number three. Do you want to move I, on to your number two? I very much so. Very much so. <laughs> my number two is uh, coming from Solo, a Star Wars story, and it's Lando and L3. Wow. Yeah. And shock and amazement. This one shocked me, honestly, because I think that it could have worked if they hadn't put the is it romantic, is it not moment in there. Like the with Kira and L three in the the oh, cabin okay. of the or the cockpit of the cockpit. Falcon. Of, thank you of the Millennium Falcon. That scene is so many levels of uncomfortable in so many ways, <laughs> and it's not great. You know, it's funny you said that you're not putting romantic pairings on yours, and I didn't try to, but I also didn't stop myself, and a lot of them ended up around romantic pairings just because that's that's who i am like i i i am romantic i am a shipper like it's part of what i enjoy about the stories is those kind of relationships and i wanted to like lando and l3 because they're supposed to have this deep bond but when you really watch it lando is extremely dismissive of the thing that l3 cares about the most which is droid rights and droid freedom he just (laughs) essentially laughs laughs it off and that is not a healthy dynamic in a relationship and like i i personally i know people have problems with it i personally like lando adding her to the falcon um i I enjoy the fact that she is integral in making the kessel run and helping them complete the the mission but it would have been a lot better if it felt like l3 was giving herself in in reciprocating to Lando through this sacrifice rather than Lando once again just taking advantage of her. If you're trying to have this romantic angle to it and they're dismissive of the thing that makes you get up in the morning, that's not a relationship that you need to be in. Um, and I think it did a, a great disservice to... to representation in that way um Mm. in broadening the conversation in female uh representation in star wars by just having these two women swooning over guys sitting in a cockpit in a scene that adds nothing to the story when you really think about it so i just think that i love solo um i i really enjoy that movie it's a it's just a fun action flick adventure movie that's a good time to watch but that when you really look at what makes a team work and a duo work or a relationship in any way work, it is not what Lando and L3 have going on. Wow. Well put. I, I, I'm with you on that. It's, it's a very awkward and weird kind of thing. It's, it's surprising it made it to the final cut, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, if anything, it shows that, you know, that the Kasdans are, are... Like, I have respect for the attempt to try and include you know diversity and and different conversations like that in the story that's not my problem with it in any way shape or form it's that it didn't do it any service and it doesn't feel like anybody who should actually be saying how that should be executed got a say in that on screen yeah you know like well it's it's not even attempt to really add representation it's kind of like if you look back at 90s movies or early 2000s movies the way in which they joke about different sexualities is very you know it's all kind of like a a way to scare the heteros basically and and it's hard to take the 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 lando l3 thing seriously right it's just 
we it, you can't really tell if they're playing it for laughs or they're trying to make this an honest part of the character development and the, and the things we know about them. And at any time there's uncertainty about something that ca- that has the potential to be that serious, it's not a good way to tell a story. So yeah. I, I don't think that they were doing it with any kind of like, not necessarily malicious intent, but certainly a level of carelessness that that demonstrates other things that could be problematic. Yeah, absolutely. Like well, I don't think know, they honestly, were trying to. No, to be it's har- honestly hurtful. with with all we know about how Solo came to be as a movie, like it's probably something that started off as one way in the first couple drafts, and they kept bits and pieces of it, but not the right bits and pieces of it into the final versions of it. And so, somewhere in the past iterations of that story, it could have worked as an interesting device of something. It could have been comical, or it could have been you know, straight, but that's not really, you know, straight as in a serious aspect of a character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way in which they try and play the best parts of both of those different items uh, just fails equally. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't love Han and Kira together, but that's because I love Han and Leia together, so I'm biased in that aspect. But their, their relationship doesn't, to me, it doesn't add a lot to the story. Like it's it's his. I know it's his driving factor, but we know there's more for Han Solo later on, and and that's what's more yep. interesting. But if anything, for me, I've I've never I've never been a huge Lando fan one way or the other, and I I love Donald Glover, and I think he did a great job with the character. But I feel like I should have walked out of that movie just wanting more Lando and L three because they had a lot of potential there and two great actors portraying two really cool characters but when they put them together in the way that they did it just it falls flat on space so speaking of two characters that kind of should have worked out together well but haven't or never did really my number two is going to be mace windu and yoda from the prequel era specifically nice not that mace windu survives a whole lot outside of the prequel era but just to make it clear there's something about the way in which they're too blind to their own weaknesses that they're not able to do the jobs that they're supposed to do. Their priorities are against each other's priorities. So Mace Windu has this idea of the Jedi need to be stewards of the Republic in which we guide the ship of state and make sure that it doesn't crash upon the rocks of evil, treachery, and you know corruption. Yoda thinks that they should steer the Jedi and the more spiritual aspects of the the galaxy and be open to these things and allow people to use the Force and um, utilize their powers for the mutual benefit of the citizenry. Both of those things are not... Well, let me say, neither of those things is necessarily bad, but they do work at odds with each other when they are both being dictated from the exact same spot. Like, the same office of the Jedi is trying to be both the religious center of the galaxy, but also the governmental center of the galaxy. And that's not going to work. I think they would make a better team if they were able to trust each other more. I don't think that they demonstrate a good level of trust. And they work together. I just don't think they work well together because they don't have that same end goal in mind. Like, they're not striving for the same things even though they might have the same tools at their disposal. Now, they do start to work together a little bit more as you talk about, like, Revenge of the Sith, where they both see the evil is there. They can finally both recognize that they they didn't do what they needed to do in order to stop it, and so now they're trying to pull out all the stopgaps. They They look to take over the Senate. They look to arrest Palpatine. But by then, it's already too late. You know, it, it's hard because... 
like you had said before, Mace Windu seems to be the only one who's looking out for the good of the galaxy. Yoda's still looking out for the good of the Jedi. And the Jedi are the guardians of peace across the galaxy. So it's very interesting how close they are, but how different they really are in their approaches. And unfortunately, it, it's one of the things that allows the dark side to come in under the disguise of you know Palpatine and Sidious's actions. And really, it's it's he's you know, Palpatine is able to exploit that difference between the two of them, since they are kind of representational about how the rest of the Jedi act as a whole. You know, you have the Jedi over here on the one side who are more the Mace Windu, you know, uh, denomination, as it were. And the other side is the Yoda versions. And he's able to split the gap. And that's how he's able to one of the ways that he's able to bring down the Jedi. Had the two of them been able to work together and been open and honest with each other about what they want to do and how they're going to do it and allow the other one to walk away if they need to, we might have had an entirely different story. To me, I, I think about them as like two great basketball players and you can put two great basketball players on the court at the same time and it doesn't mean you're going to have a team that can win a championship you're right. going to have a team that gets wins like if you put i mean there's a lot that's kind of the thing in the nba right now is getting like trios or duos or whatever to all come to the same place to win a championship and more often than not those teams don't make it because the two are not willing to share the ball and and do what needs to be done to win a championship because they're wanting to get the points and get the contracts and all of that stuff and yeah. i think it's kind of the same way of like what where is your focus is it on the religious aspect is it on the jedi is it on the republic and there is a place where that balance exists and i think we're seeing that in the high republic where you have it's one of my favorite things about the High Republic is you have so many different perspectives from so many different Jedi right. all existing in the same order. And then you get to, I mean, I think uh, uh, the moment I think of or thought, was thinking of as you were talking is that moment in season seven of Clone Wars where Ahsoka is presenting or uh, is, is in the meeting and Mesa Windu says like, you're done here, citizen, or whatever he does. But, uh, <laughs> but Yoda stops and, and sees that she has something more on her mind and offers to you know listen to what she has to say and that to me like they're on the same mission they have somebody there who can help them and they just take such different approaches to it obviously we're not supposed to like mace windu doing that to ahsoka because it's ahsoka but i no. do understand his perspective there and i understand what what he why he is saying what he is saying and what his logic is in there and if you think about him like you were presenting it as he is representative of protecting the Republic and Yoda is representative of protecting the Jedi, I think it's spot on for the character. But yeah, the two don't work well together. And it, yeah. it's interesting to think about like what could have been. I'd love some like Yoda Mace Windu team ups where we get to actually see them working well together. That just makes it more painful when they're not. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think I'm okay with kind of the, uh, Let's just stick with the story we got for now. Like, I think what you're talking about with the higher public specifically, one of the main differences you can note in the operations of the Jedi at that point is that there's freedom to disagree and freedom to walk away without sacrificing all of that relationship connection. You know, they have a Wayseeker program where a, a Jedi who doesn't feel like they can operate within the Order anymore has the freedom to leave. They maintain kind of their 
their status and their connections and their lightsaber, but they don't have to operate under the supervision of the, the, the order anymore. And so it gives them a little bit of permission to do those things. And even like Elzar Mann, who has these moments, these great moments of great uh, conflict and self-doubt, and he is given the time and the freedom to, to work through that rather than to put those problems in a box and put that box on a shelf. Like, that's something that gets lost along the way. And we don't know exactly where that change happens yet. We don't have a clear delineation between, okay, before this point was good and after this point was bad. It's probably a much smoother transition than that. But Yoda was a part of that High Republic. So in theory, in theory, he should be able to see what was working. And then if he's still there when it's not working, I mean, I don't, I can't think of a better person suited to try and address a problem than the person who saw it working and then sees it no longer working. But on the opposite side of that argument, if Mace Windu happens to come along and suddenly everything changes and it's not great, well, you know, the nail that sticks out gets hammered. So it's hard to say. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And it's interesting to think about, like, if the characters had spoken up sooner if they had you know taken the time to reflect if they if they had done what we know they were supposed to do right what would have happened like it's that what if that one throw that one throwaway line i think it's an attack of the clones where mace windu says i think it's time to inform the senate that uh, or like our ability to use the force is diminished or something like that and it's like i'm sorry time out you just said (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something very very important and we're gonna glaze right over it like yeah what? yeah it's that kind of stuff just bothers me and I, I think that's kind of emblematic of that team it's hard to say it's a throwaway line because i think it's meant to feel like a throwaway line because that's how the characters are handling it but it's actually a very weighty moment to think that sure you yeah, have yeah. mace windu who i'll call a spade a spade i agree with mace windu there they should tell the senate about it they like that is the right move and Yoda not not doing that I think just makes it easier on Palpatine I don't know if them saying that would have would have stopped Palpatine from being able to do what he did but it at least would have made it more difficult because you would have to me you would have the support and the respect of the bureaucracy there that's failing to go this is a serious problem if whatever's out there that's threatening us is diminishing the Jedi's ability to use the Force and protect us. Like, something serious needs to be done about this. But again, it's that game of what if. Yeah, it's a dangerous a dangerous one, too. All right, so for my number one, I really, like, I really tried hard to, to limit this. And mm. I played around with this a lot. I can't wait. It's... This this even hurts me to say because I don't want it to be on my list, but it's Finn and okay. anybody. Wow. It mm, hard disagree, but okay. Well, here's Can't the thing. To hear this. This is not about Finn or Rose or Ray or any of the characters themselves, but really about the inability of the sequel storytellers to complete an arc for any of these relationships across the three films. Because with Ray and Finn in TFA, it's amazing. The chemistry works. They don't they they play with it romantically, like jokingly, but it's pretty 
clear that like they're not necessarily going to go that direction. That's not the the main focus of their relationship. Their motivations for each other are more pure, more because they know the other person cares about them and they realize that they work well together as a team and that they want the best for each other and all of those things. And it doesn't have to be romantic, which I think is really, really awesome. But then it falls apart in the other two films because in oh. TLJ, it's clear that Finn is going after Ray. And this hurts me to say, cause you know, I love TLJ and I love Finn and I love Ray and I loved them in TFA. <laughs> Finn is motivated by their connection, but he's secondary uh, he's a secondary consideration for Ray. And okay. they insert Rose as this way to show the way that Finn is being pulled, but the juxtaposition between Rose and Ray is not shown in the movie the same way it is in the novelization. The novelization you get Rose questioning like why is he all after this Ray girl and does he love her and they just develop that kind of tension there in a non-tropey cliche kind of way but you see that like Finn is being pulled in all these different directions with all these different people and so then you get to Rise of Skywalker and that just drops the Finn and like it's the weakest part of TLJ as much as I love like the you know uh, fighting to save what you love not what you you know fighting what you hate or whatever it is I love that moment uh, besides the cliche kiss, which is just dumb, but like the actual line, I love it. I I like Rose, you know, kind of knocking some sense into Finn quite literally. Like I like moments of them together, but it's the weakest part of the movie. And then you go to Rise of Skywalker and it drops it even further to where you literally have three seconds of, of Rose and Finn on screen together and there's no resolution to their connection and it's an entire movie of finn chasing ray so he can tell her something that he never ends up telling her and ray does not seem anywhere near as invested in finn as he is in her and that just Mm. to me really really falls short if i had to nail it down i think the problem is the lack of direction with the character of finn because and i don't mean this in a negative way or like a uh chauvinistic way but rose is a character that was created to support finn's arc she's great on her own she's an awesome character she's she uh, kelly marie tran does a great job with that character but that's how the character was created we need something to be the the angel to dj's devil on on finn's shoulder and you just didn't give it the time across the two movies should have been three movies where you have all these major characters and, and you really nail down, this is the story that we're trying to tell with Finn. It's very clear in the sequel trilogy that they have that with Kylo Ren, Ben Solo. It's somewhat less clear, but with Rey, there's definitely a thing that they're going for. They didn't have it all mapped out like they did for Kylo, but there you, you get the point that they're trying to make with Rey. Finn is all over the place. Mm. And because of that, you don't get yeah. any quality time with his relationships. And... I know that there's people screaming right now about like, what about Finn and Poe? And yeah, they were great when they were on screen together. But again, it's a missed opportunity where you have a chance to 
really tell a satisfying arc for both of these characters and and their journey to really find their true identity across these films and with poe in rise of skywalker skywalker he just reverts back to who he was in force awakens and it's like all the effort of of uh tlj was lost there it's a slap in the face to have zori in that movie because she takes away from the finn and poe relationship in a way that is blatantly obvious that they were like we can't have gay characters as leads in these films if we're going to be you know selling it in other countries or whatever i try not to bring that into my reading of movies in and of themselves because i want to interpret the story as is presented but it's just so blatantly obvious in the in the film that they're pushing finn and poe apart and just having them have these moments together where you're like yeah they're a great team but it's never what it really could be because finn is so focused on ray she's not focused on him Rose is a non-factor. It just is all so messy that none of Finn re- Finn's relationships, romantic or otherwise, work across the three movies. And wow. that hurts. Yeah, I, I can definitely... I, I understand the argument you're making. I think I would push back strongly on the Last Jedi f- blaming aspect of things because I think it sets out to do a certain thing with his character and absolutely does it. Um, I think your issue is the is is Rise of Skywalker just sticks dynamite all over the other two films and blows them up, and that's hard to get around. Like that's not a thing that goes away. <laughs> like TLJ is a middle story, right? So it's you can have Empire Strikes Back and the I am your father moment is great, but if you drop the ball and on Return of the Jedi, it takes all the you know the power out of that moment and all the meaning out of that moment if you don't have a satisfying ending and to me his arc with ray didn't have a satisfying ending because they just never really are in the same place on the same page at the same time after force awakens rose is just completely dropped and finn and poe just becomes such a blatant bromance in favor of forcing a romantic connection with zori bliss it just doesn't make sense and it, it I love TLJ and coming out of TLJ I was very excited about Finn and Rose I thought there was a lot of potential there but dropping the ball in Rise of Skywalker just absolutely killed yeah. the entirety of Finn's character and his connections with others so yeah I think that's really the issue there it, it, it works in Force Awakens I think it works if you readjust your focus and expectations and understanding of what story Last Jedi is trying to tell you I really think the Last Jedi structure sails I think it, it, the outline for that movie is just beautiful and so I really I like that so much um, that I, I really do think that the issue the real issue is how is is just Rise of Skywalker just is like takes all those spinning plates and just doesn't just drop them it throws them on the ground and smashes them into tiny little pieces yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I, it's 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 sad. So my number one. Now keep in mind, these are very interesting characters and they're a ton of fun to watch. And I love that they're here. But let's be honest, they don't make a great team. Okay, just keep that in mind. Grand Moff Tarkin and Darth Vader. Ah, yes. In the entire Star That's Wars. That's a good universe. call. These guys are bad teammates, <laughs> to say the least. They have. No respect for each other, no respect for each other's methods. 
They have no interest in working as a team at all. In fact, they're in competition for the top seat at the Emperor's right hand, and it's wonderful to watch. They're bad, bad people, and they're doing bad, bad things, but this is like storytelling. Like One of the best elements of storytelling is having this kind of level of competition between bad guys. It's so satisfying to watch. It makes them a terrible, terrible duo, but really fun to watch, and I think that's something that we don't get very often. I think the sequel trilogy tried to do it with you know Hux and Kylo. They're kind of nipping at each other a little bit, but ultimately they were both there serving Snoke, right? They're both kind of working towards the same end, even though they didn't like each other. Certainly, but again, like we said before, Rise of Skywalker just takes dynamite and blows up that dynamic entirely, makes it wildly different. But I think what's interesting about Tarkin and Vader is how good they are as a team, even though they don't want to be working as a team. Like, they're forced to work together they both work to serve the empire as a whole and they're both serving the emperor, but they're also both serving themselves um, to the exclusion of the other. Tarkin doesn't want Vader anywhere on his death star and nor does Vader want Tarkin anywhere near, you know, anything he's being responsible for. And so I think it's a really interesting dynamic to watch the two of them kind of go back and forth. You know, imagine the destructive power they could wield together under the empire if they were if they had enough to respect each other and work as a team like if they could accomplish a a, a goal together using their individual strengths to complement one another instead of kind of ignoring each other the rebellion doesn't stand a chance at that point and and it's really interesting how they use that kind of a dynamic in a new hope in order to tell that story i, I really th this was the first pair that came to mind as like what makes a bad duo and not in the fact that they're they're not good together but what makes an evil duo what's kind of the the opposite of what we normally think is the hero the heroic team and it's definitely tarkin and vader so there you go they are the bad bad guys yeah bad, bad it's thing. It's pretty it's pretty dang good. And, you know, in the Tarkin novel, you have them begrudgingly working together and you <laughs> yeah, see that dynamic that. where that's the, the thing that's really cool is they both recognize that the other one is really good at what they do and deserves their respect, but they almost refuse to give it. Right. It's like you go back to your, your basketball analogy is like, you know, you have such an adversarial game where it's man versus you know man on man. And you got two guys on the same team who are not willing to pass the ball to each other because they both know they can make the points themselves. Yeah. So <laughs> it's so fascinating. To it's, watch these and guys. there's, I mean, there's been some great teams that have had that happen that just completely blew it up and had to start all over from scratch, which I mean, in a way the empire kind of is when we get, you know, to the end of a new hope, the rebels have won the big victory. Tarkin's dead. And I almost wonder if, in this, you know, in the what if kind of, of realm of things, if Tarkin had survived the Death Star and oh, Tarkin and Vader were together in Empire Strikes Back, like, is Tarkin able to rein in Vader a little bit where he, he doesn't let him go off and just kill people left and right? Uh, and, and how does that change things? Because both, again, both are extremely good at what they do and know the other one is extremely good at what they do, but that's the structure of the Empire is not, yep. oh, man, we work really well together, let's team up. It's we work really well together, let's sabotage each other. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. All right. I love it. All right, positive things now. I feel like I feel like that's a good segue into the positive, into the, to the top. So 
for me, when I was thinking about these, I was thinking about healthy relationships. What are examples of good, solid, healthy relationships of two people who make themselves better uh, or, or make each other better? So I have an honorable mention because it falls outside of those parameters and we also don't have enough of it yet. But I have to say something about it, and it's Luke and Ahsoka. Because yeah, I knew this was coming. Here, here's the thing: they are not on my list because <laughs> these are two of my favorite characters, and I've wanted to see them on screen for a long time. So they're my favorite pairing, but we don't have enough of them to make this for them to make it onto my my best of list, my top teams list. I think. If they take what they had in Book of Boba Fett and they take it forward and have more Luke Ahsoka stuff develop, you could have a really great duo there of two people who mm-hmm. who want to make each other better and, and stuff, and that could be really cool. But my number three is Aiden Versio and Del Miko of Inferno Squad. Wow, good pull. Interesting little tidbit. I had at my number one when I was initially laying this out, I had Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yeah. But I, as I was typing out my notes, I, w- I said, you know, I, I can't really call them a great duo, as great as they are, because of how tragically it ends. So mm. my number three was, had been, I've been going back and forth between Aiden and, and Dell and my number two. And I, after really looking at it, both... M- Aiden and Dell and and my number two have to be on these lists because they're great examples of healthy relationships in Star Wars. And for Aiden and Dell specifically, what makes them really special is that they bond together as part of the Empire and they defect from it together. And they do that because they see Operation Cinder is wrong, but they stick together because of their bond. And they say, we are Inferno Squad, like we're in this together. And if you fight, I'm going to fight. Where you go, I'm going to go. Because they have, if you want to think about like Tarkin and Vader, both know, you know, the other one's really good, but they're fighting each other. Aiden and Del both both know the other one is really good at what they do in on both a, a tactical, like military level, but also on just filling in the gaps of each other as a person and making the other person better. And that is really, really cool. I like how their life together reflects the war itself as kind of an arc of storytelling because they go from believing in the empire to joining the rebellion, which is, you know, the rebellion grows throughout the story. So that's reflecting, you know, so many people seeing problems with the empire. They learn to fight for a higher purpose, which we see multiple times, you know, Han Solo in particular in the original trilogy. And when the war ends at the battle of Jakku is when you get the, the first kiss, which is a reflection of, the final victory of the rebellion. So that's really, really powerful. And as I was doing some more reading and reminding myself of the story, they have to be on the list for two particular reasons. Obi-Wan and Anakin don't make the list because of such a tragic ending and they hurt each other so badly. And and that's that's the point of their, their relationship. Like it's supposed to hurt. And I enjoy that it hurts. But... Aiden and Dell have their daughter, Zay, who carries on their legacy with the Resistance. But what's really powerful to me is you have uh, Gideon Hask, who was the third member of Inferno Squad. Well, 
the third member that survived into the the video game. He kills Dell, and while Aiden goes after Hask, she doesn't go after him for revenge. She goes after him because he is part of of helping Kylo uh, to find Luke Skywalker, and he has to be stopped because of the knowledge that he has and his capabilities as a military leader. She doesn't go after him at any point through a sense of revenge or justice for him killing Dell. And she she even, spoiler alert, kills him at the end of her arc. Like, they both kind of kill each other. Hask kills her, and she kills him. And they both die at the same time kind of thing. But she doesn't do it out of a sense of justice. She does it because she has to make sure that her daughter lives in the legacy and what her and Dell built together both as a family and in everything they gave to the war and the fight for what was right and what was good and the belief in each other uh, that, you know, she has to make sure her daughter lives. And that's just a really powerful, powerful message. And I think a, in this world where we have so many characters that die tragically and we have so many characters that go after, you know, things out of revenge and sense of justice and because they feel like they've been wronged, if any characters were going to be able to do that, it would be Aiden and Dell, and neither of them ever does. And I just think that that's absolutely beautiful. And they get each other to that point and through all of those hard times. Nice. Well done. I'd forgotten about them entirely. Never forget about Inferno Squad. I was, uh, Blasphemy. Yeah, I, remember, I remember reading the book. It was good. I remember liking it. Yeah. And Pretty sure. I think the hardest part with them and the reason that they're not higher on the list is just because their story takes place across so many different non-major media. You know, you have the yeah. book and the video game and then the DLC, and you have to really search out for their story. But as somebody who really enjoyed that book and loves Aiden Versio, who was one of my favorite characters and what she represents, I have taken the time to do that. And so to me, their their connection means means a lot and is a great example of what i wanted to be on my list nice i appreciate that all right what you got for your number three well let me hit my two uh honorable mentions oh you have honorable you never bring honorable mentions i'm excited <laughs> well these are the two that failed the failed some of the criteria for good for good duos there um again because i was trying to keep the romantic relationships out but if we were to somehow sidestep that rule you could bring in avar chris and elzar man who just they can do all the things and it's just it just be would great all the time uh, but then i also was thinking about uh thane and sienna which are the, the characters from lost stars nice pull yes i mean all of lost stars it's i mean the book is about the two of them it's hard to go wrong with that book it's really really good uh strong recommendation if you haven't read it yet what are you doing don't read brotherhood don't reach out of the sith go read lost stars but yeah, I'm not going to talk about those four people. Instead, my number three, and this is probably a cheat in some way, seeing as how it's like two, maybe three people. We're going to break a little bit of the rules here. But I'm going to say Saw Gerrera and the Rebels gang, but specifically Ezra, but also Kanan. <laughs> when they have their little mission with Saw there towards the end of the series, the way in which... Um. Why is it towards the end of that series? I'm not even sure now. Uh, season three, season two, season no, three. No, it's season 
Season three, season four, somewhere, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there, right? The good part of Rebels. Um, the wow. way in which Ezra... Oh, come on. Really? Really? If you're going to put season one and two on one side of the scale and three and four on the other side of the scale, which one do you think weighs more? Yeah, but you don't have to just say it's like... There's the good side and the great side. Don't imply nah. that there's bad rebels. Well, well, that's a question for a different day. Um, the way in which Ezra can get along with anyone is both good and bad. Because he makes alliances with all the wrong people from time to time. And it's really interesting how he gets along with Saw Gerrera. And then how that rubs off on Kanan, too. But in the end, they're, they're, they are kind of working towards similar goals, but utilizing different methods in order to get there. Saw ends up being, by the end of Rebels, I think, very clearly his show is too much. He's too far out there. He doesn't belong within the Alliance. Mon Mothman gives a relatively impassioned speech against his tactics and whatnot. But it's hard to argue that when he's working with Ezra and Kanan that they actually do a good job. Like It may not be as clean as... Hera would probably want her boys to be behaving, but it's interesting how well things go, given the different temperaments that all of those characters have. I, I thought that was one of the more interesting portions of that show is when they brought Saw Gerrera back in. And we don't talk about Saw enough anymore, and for some reason we've forgotten that character, and I believe it's time for a little Saw renaissance. A Saw renaissance. Renaissance? No. A saunaissance? Guerrerasance? A renarera. <laughs> yes. Okay. A partisan sense. No, that's not it. Bring back two tubes is really what I'm trying to say. That's that's the real message here. It really is. I thought that was a great part of that show. That I had a lot of. I think a lot of the message of Rebels is you are who your friends are, kind of thing. Ezra has he does a really bad job of picking friends from time to time. Uh, Lord Maul, for example. Even um, Hondo. I mean Hondo double crosses them how many times yeah it's not even double it's just consistent crossing and yeah and who's the who's the guy who mark wants to play in live action um, uh visago yeah not a good dude either no like, arms dealer <laughs> kind of thing to be um, fair to ezra he met them through canaan and everybody so sure 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 but you know that ezra is going to be texting them behind canaan's back so uh, he has a, a tendency to pick friends in low places and and while it's interesting to see how he works with those characters and how he can he kind of i don't know if there's a message in there to not ignore those who operate in the shadows because even they can be used for good kind of thing i don't really know because ezra himself does some questionable things as well like the man toes that dark side line and sometimes doesn't tow it sometimes he just you know does a little irish jig atop it so each of the kind of outside of the rebels crew connections that he makes are reflections of different parts of his personality like he says to hondo like and another time i could have been you like there is the pirate you know side of him that we see on lothal stealing things to survive kind of aspect to him he has that devious side he has the dark side in him that gets exploited by maul he has the side that doesn't understand the long game and wants to be more like Saw Gerrera, and his his development and his arc is seeing that those don't work and becoming more than that. Uh, and well, there's... I'd like that to be true. I would like that to be true, but I think all of that is kind of trumped by by Kanan's final actions 
and kind of the message that he leaves with Ezra for in those particular moments is to show like the self-sacrifice aspect. And it's like, this is what gets things done. Big picture is selflessness and caring for others more than you care for yourselves. Like you had said, Saw is kind of a quick and easy path kind of guy where he's just going to go blow up bad people. It doesn't really matter who gets in the way. Whereas Kanan wants to make sure that it has as minimal collateral damage as possible. Well, and and your intention behind it. Like, I don't think right, our two yeah. ideas are, are necessarily opposed to each other. I think they work in unison of it's the line that always sticks out to me in Rebels is Yoda saying how Jedi choose to win. And Saw chooses to win in a more violent, aggressive way, which we know fails because that's the message of Star Wars is that's not what wins. You have... Kanan, you know, and you have him making this huge sacrifice in this amazing moment. And it's not powerful because of all the damage and destruction and that happens and everything that it does to help end the Empire on Lothal. It's powerful because of the message that it sends to to his team and particularly to Ezra, like you were pointing out, of this is the way that we win. And you've seen these ways that don't work. And now you're seeing the way that works and it pays off in the end. And yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic. A, yeah. a, a cheat, but definitely a solid one. <laughs> I'm going to keep us in Rebels and I'm going to go with uh, Kanan and Hera. Yeah, it's hard to argue. I They're mean, dang cute. again, this is another situation where it's a healthy relationship and not even this is the thing about, you know, I, I I have these two romantic relationships on here, but they're not on my list of duos because of their romantic pairing, but because of how, like I said, they make each other better. And in the end, Kanan and Hera edged out Aiden and Dell just because we see more of how they influenced people. We see more directly how Kanan and Hera, both individually and together, uh, influenced the Rebels crew. They built this crew. They modeled for them how to trust and love and fight for each other. And and not to do it because of how evil the other side was, but because of how much they wanted the ones that they love to have a better life. And mm. the thing that is great and just stands out and to me and makes Kanan and Hera such a powerful duo is the level of maturity in their relationship that we don't see in a lot of other relationships. They both know that the fight comes first. They communicate that well. They push off the feelings that they have for each other, not because they don't think it could work or not because they don't trust or anything like that, but they both really understand that there's something bigger out here that we have to take care of first before we can be in a world where we can be together and and really have that. And that takes a, takes a level of self-sacrifice and maturity that we don't often see in, in storytelling. And I love, I love some good tragedy and the way that their story (laughs) ends is, is so, so extremely satisfying, even though it is so tragic And what I love about how it's presented is you get the feeling, the sense that 
both of them know it's coming to a close and they don't try to stop it. They don't give up. They don't just like surrender, but they also are not willing to hurt everyone else to sacrifice the rebellion just to maintain their own relationship. And if that is not a message of maturity in relationship in any way, shape, or form, whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, romantic or siblings or whatever, friends, whatever it may be, that's really, really a message that I think needs to be nailed home more in our society. And to then get that great moment with Canaan where he gives himself, where he gets to see her one more time, like all of that stuff is is so good and so well written. Um but then to also get to see Hera grieving that loss and getting to see that, yes, you these relationships you have, you have to keep them in perspective. You have to make sure you stay focused on the bigger picture. You have to uh, support each other in your weaknesses and in your strengths. You have to make each other better. But it's also okay to really deeply care and love for these people and grieve for these people which at the time that Rebels came out, we really didn't have in Star Wars. Now we have it with Kenobi. We have a little bit of it with Mando. But Rebels is and, and Hera grieving the death of Kanan is the first time we really get to spend time where it's not just brushed off to the side like it is with Han and Leia in the sequels. You sit with Hera in painful, agonizing moments. And for somebody who has had loss and we've all experienced loss, but especially when I was watching the the show, experiencing my first major losses of people I cared about in my life, getting to see that relationship and how, even though it came to an end, it continued and how the grieving process is natural and doesn't make you less of the person that you are. It doesn't diminish the sacrifice that somebody else may have made, but that it is a healthy aspect of continuing on and being able to keep that relationship in perspective after the loss of someone else is extremely, extremely powerful. And it it was really hard not to put this at my number one. My number one nar- is, is narrowly uh, in the lead, but this is such a great pairing, uh, even beyond the the cool romantic aspect of it it's really just the way that they make each other so much better and the impact that it has on other people nice well done good job all right who you got number two for me uh a couple trigger warnings uh first trigger warning legends material number two complete nostalgia so here we go back in the day when grand admiral thrawn and admiral pelion were side by side the empire was unstoppable and the Thrawn trilogy books probably were so interesting because of these two guys as the main villains. When we talk about Tarkin and Vader and how they don't have that mutual respect for each other's talents and abilities, Pelion and Thrawn always did. They knew that they needed the other one to accomplish things that they could never do on their own. And there was such a teamwork aspect to that that made them so dangerous and so threatening in those books. Now, I don't know how well it stands up today. Um, I don't even know if they they have this dynamic, or even if Pelion exists in the newer Thrawn book. So you got you you might have to uh, correct me on that anymore. He he does he doesn't exist in the Thrawn books, but we do get a brief 
mention of tell Captain Pelion or contact Captain Pelion mm-hmm. in season four of Rebels. I think it's in this the finale. It sounds um, about right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely think, brushed off to the side of like a hey yeah. elbow to the Le- Legends fans, but a little bit of a head fake there. But I, I like the way in which the stories portrayed the two characters. How they didn't always completely understand what the other one was working towards, but they had at least this mutual respect and understanding that they're really good at their game. And and like I said, it may just be nostalgia. And I was just the right age when I had we read those particular books in the Thrawn trilogy, but that has always stood out to me as an interesting way to, to make the villains um, more menacing, to show them that they have some of the same kind of strengths that the heroes had. Heroes make good teams, and they're able to overcome evil. Well, what happens if the evil makes good teams, too? And I really think that's an interesting thing we don't get to see. It's kind of, like we said, if, if Tarkin and Vader are against each other, and they still make it a dangerously effective force for the Empire, then Pelion and Thrawn must be even stronger because of how much they are willing to work to each other's strengths, cover up each other's weaknesses, and really create a, a force that's stronger together than they would be apart. Yeah, I mean, and what they have that Tarkin and Vader don't is not... They share the ball, you know, to go back to that analogy. They yeah, share the ball yeah. really well. Like, Pelion is never trying to overtake Thrawn, but Thrawn also never diminishes Pelion. And that no, he needs him. He, he needs him. That. And he, and yeah. And I mean, we get that in uh, the new, like, the first Thrawn book, the one that was really good uh, with Eli Vanto, which is a very different character but a similar dynamic of where he understands stuff that Thrawn doesn't and Thrawn knows that and Vanto knows that Thrawn knows that and Thrawn knows that Vanto knows that Thrawn knows like <laughs> oh my gosh okay i don't i don't want to read those books anymore <laughs> <laughs> no it's yeah, i don't care that that much it's but it is another like one of those dynamics where they need each other and they are they're willing to step aside when the other one is going to make the duo shine. And you get that right. with Thrawn and Pelion. And I mean, I've read it recently or uh, relatively recently. And yeah. I will say that is the strength of the books. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff in, in retrospect, you can see how it was really cool when it first came out, but this, the books get weaker as they go on. The heir to the empire is fantastic, and then uh, less so and less so. <laughs> but I need to actually go back and finish this again. It's it's it, never about Thrawn and Pelion. Like their story is solid through and through, uh, both individually and together. And it is interesting to think about now that you know you've kind of set up this. Well, Tarkin and Vader are this way, but Thrawn and Pelion are the other. Like, what could have been if? Yeah. If, uh, well, if and, I, and I like, you know, we know Thrawn kind of meets his end at the end of those books, and Pelion goes on. He survives and actually kind of unifies what's left of the Empire. I don't know how much more of those Legends novels you've actually sat through yet, but at a certain point, they have to, they sign an armistice treaty with the New Republic, and Pelion is the one who does it. He recognizes that the war is over, there's no point in bl- any further bloodshed, so let's take what we've got and go home. And he does. And even in the uh, several years after that, when 
the Yezin Vong start to invade, he's willing to take the Empire out of out of kind of retirement and and join forces alongside the New Republic. Same guys he fought with 10, 15 years beforehand because he understands the greater threat to their existence. So I feel like there's like that realism, you know, that not necessarily optimism because he's not a fanatic about the Empire. He, he could really care less about the colors, but they're his. They're his people, and he cares about them making sure that they've survived to fight another day. And I think that's kind of the thing that Thrawn respects in him, you know, that that care for the common man. And Thrawn just wants to be able to take them and make them the most efficient fighting force ever. But he knows the Pelion's always going to take care of them as well. All right, it's time to get into the number one. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. I'm going to guess it first. Okay. Is it Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi? It is not. Oh, okay. Uh, is it Anakin and Ahsoka? It is not. Ooh. Give me a hint. Give me an era. If I give you an era, it's going to give it away. All right. Just go ahead. It's Din, Djarin, and Grogu. Dang. I did not even think of that. Can I re- rewrite my number one <laughs> real quick? My top three was very back and forth about how they were going to rank and everything like that. And I think if we're talking specifically about great duos, Aiden and Dell and Kanan and Hera are, were both great individually and then came together and just made each other better, which is a great duo. But with Din and Grogu, you have these two that make each other better but even better than when they were when they were apart it's hard to describe because when they were apart it's not like din or grogu wasn't good din was a great bounty hunter but he didn't he wasn't reaching his full potential as a person of somebody who can actually influence things and care about others and things like that and grogu was lost in trying to find his way and Din learns to be selfless through Grogu, and Grogu learns to belong again thanks to to Din. And it's just a much more symbiotic relationship where if you break them apart, they're not as good as they are together. And the as far as like the storytelling aspect of it, this relationship builds in the small moments, and that's what like. Yes, you know Din is fighting for Grogu and he's going after him. He's trying to protect him. But it's those little moments like when Din lifts up his helmet a little bit and Grogu looks up at him like, am I going to get to see his face? That's so powerful. And with these two, you don't want to see them apart. With Kanan and Hera, you can have enjoyable adventures with them apart from each other. With Din and Grogu, when they are apart... All you want is for them to be back together. And put this in perspective. Luke Skywalker is there. (laughs) And you don't want Grogu to be with him. You're rooting against Luke Skywalker. You're rooting against Luke Skywalker training someone as a Jedi. Because you want him to be with Din. And the Luke stuff is great. I love it. It's like the best part of Book of Boba Fett, in my opinion. But you want Grogu to pick that armor. You want him to be with Din. I will say the one thing that I, the the nitpick that I have with it 
is their actual reunion in Book of Boba Fett was a little lackluster. <laughs> but oh come on! What, that Who moment, it? it it felt very rushed in the aspect of of you you have as much time as you need to tell the story. Why not give them a little more than oh hey we're back together during the middle of this chase? It was less. It was less than what I wanted it to be, but not so much that you care about it because again you just want them to be together and that is what makes like din is a good character on his own grogu is a good character on his own like they're enjoyable but it's almost impossible to imagine them apart from each other in any kind of interesting way and i think when you think about the conversation that existed around the end of of season two of Mando when Grogu goes with Luke, it was never like, oh, cool, like Grogu's going to be a Jedi. Are we going to get a different show? It was all, how are we going to get them back together? (laughs) Everybody knew where it was going, but yet everybody wanted it. And that's very, very rare where you have a predictable ending that you're able to get to in a satisfying way in both the arc of the story and that satisfies the the desires of the audience. That is a very rare thing to be able to do, and it happens even less now that we have all of this content coming out from so many different places at so such a fast pace. And so to see this relationship that you get to see evolve in the little moments and that you are rooting for that, this show that we were expecting to be this big bag bounty hunter going out and just doing damage is about a dad and a son coming together is just the coolest thing ever. And they didn't start as my number one, but they topped everybody else because of, again, if they're a great duo, you don't want to see them apart. And that's more true for Dan and Grogu than anybody else Mm. for me. Wow, you, you are 100% right, and I think I would like to adopt all of the Mandalorian and Bo- Book of Boba Fett for my number one now. <laughs> <laughs> that is cheating, sir. You uh, can't well, steal my number you know, one. I'm not stealing just your number one. I'm stealing the entire, I'm all, all three seasons of those shows. Um, just, the, just when listening to you talk about it, I was like thinking through all of the different character dynamic connections like that between characters, and they're all so good. Like, uh, just the first, the next one that came to mind would be like, um, Din and Miggs Mayfield, and the 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 limited interaction that the two of those characters have is just so so impactful. Um, I love those two guys. I love when Dejaren shows up on Tatooine to help Boba Fett, and the two of them have like this shared history and the story that goes untold. You know, between Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, who make this uh, this amazing force to reinstall some kind of order for the people on Tatooine. And all of these like little connections between people is just a lot of interesting dynamics to watch, and they're so fascinating. How it's a constant theme of those shows that we we make a better team than we do individuals. Din Djarin and Cobb Vanth, you know, as they they fight the crate dragon at the beginning of season two. Um, even hit the the gang with Bo Katan and Cara Dune make a really good team at the end of season two. So really, just. The way in which the character structure of the Mandalorian se- series and Boba Fett together is just, it's so good. Boba Fett, well, I already said Boba Fett and Fennec Shan, but it, it, you think about the, their dynamic in 
season two of Mandalorian versus all of Book of Boba Fett, where we learn the rest of the story, it's even fascinating to watch the one episode you sh- they show up in. Like, it's it's just amazing how good the, that shows are. I'm adopting all of them as my number one. I'm changing my mind, calling an audible, breaking rules, all left and right. I mean, you've been doing that whole show, so these are kind of what I do. Yeah, these rules are made up as we go along. Um, So that's totally fair. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe I forgot about the the two of them, the Grogu and Dad. The the thing that I love about all of those connections that you talked about is that yeah, it's all about like as a team we make each other better and you have these characters who all want such different things, but they see the good in, in the other person. They see the mutual benefit of working together, not in a, a, a way of taking advantage like you would right. see in the time of the empire, but right. Boba Fett and Mando both see that they can help each other while getting to their end goal. And, that respect builds, and so when you get moments like in the uh, finale of Book of Boba Fett, where Fett basically tells Din he can leave, and Din's like, "No, I'm staying," yeah. even though at the time it's like I, we're we're walking out here to commit suicide essentially, but we are standing for something because even though we got here in different ways and we have different understandings of what it means to be a Mandalorian. We both have a a mutual respect and code for each other that's deeper than any mm. you know, like you were saying earlier, any colors, uh, and that is is really amazing to see. And it's the same for Fennec and Boba Fett. Yep. Uh, it's the same for Bo-Katan and Mando. Like all of these groups, the armorer, the armorer, like know. they start working together for mutual benefit, but they stick together out of a, a selfless sense of commitment and honor and respect and honestly a lot of like traits that are less and less popular in in storytelling and quite frankly just in the world and so that's really cool to be able to see that on screen where you don't have to desire to get to the exact same point but if you go into a team a connection a duo wanting the best for the other person uh, and wanting the best for the people that are going to be affected by what you do, you usually end up in the right spot. And that's yep. really, really cool. So I love it. It's so good. Let's go watch Mandalorian tonight. Let's do it. We'll sign right, off right cool. now and go watch it. So <laughs> uh, that is going to that is gonna close us off for tonight, guys. There are so many other ones that we could have talked oh, about. Yeah. I mean, God, we I had to kick Anakin and Obi-Wan off the list. Like, this is a, a an interesting, interesting topic. Uh, so if you want to share some of your favorite or least favorite duos, make sure you do that. Uh, you can uh, comment on our posts on Facebook, uh, in our Facebook group, Star Wars Clashing Sabers, or any other groups that uh, it may be shared in. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Clashing Sabers and also over on TikTok. And if you want to uh, look into sharing more duos like Luke and Lando and all of the ones that we get in the mm-hmm. ancillary material, uh exploring more anakin and obi-wan you can help us get uh more books in the hands of kids by going over to our patreon and supporting that mission and again i just want to send a huge thank you to to everybody who has uh helped us in any way in that aspect uh through donating through our patreon or supporting our fundraiser uh because again we were able to send a lot of books to 
uh, the Uvalde students to help them at the start of the new year. And uh, that is all because of our, our great donors. Uh, it's really, really mm-hmm. awesome that Absolutely. you guys do that. And uh, it is an honor and a privilege truly to, to be entrusted with that uh, money to be able to, to spread the, the lessons that Star Wars has spread to us. And I think that that exemplifies what we're talking about today about what makes great pairs is when good people come together and we may not all agree on star wars or politics or the world or anything but we come together (laughs) for a higher purpose of helping each other and making the world a better place so thank you to everybody there and uh drew tell them where they can find you and uh if you have anything in the works uh, just on Twitter's at, at the Drew Brett or in the the Clashing Sabers Facebook group, always kind of lurking there. Um, kind of working on a, a one or two article things in the in the in the mix. It's gonna take me a while before I can find some time to actually type thoughts out. I was working on my outline. I saw somebody spoil something online. I was like, shoot, don't talk, don't have this conversation yet. We need to bookmark that and save it for like a month or two from now. Because it's it'll be it's going to be a doozy, unfortunately. <laughs> but I did talk it over with somebody last week. That I was like, "Let me pitch you this idea." And they were like, "All right, convince me." I was like, "I think I can." It was good. So it felt good to have somebody to talk to out loud about it. So when I finally get it written down into words and everybody can read it, you guys can tear it apart. That'll be that's half the fun. <laughs> and that'll be over on ClashingSabers.net, where you can get all of our information. Also, so yep, the nominated teacher to receive donations. Um, I think we did. We've raised probably in the lifetime of the group a couple thousand dollars now. Yeah, right? nearly five grand. Yeah, it's been pretty pretty amazing. Just, so you know, think about how much we all spend on books for ourselves, but we've been able to raise that much for kids who just need something to read, need something to get them involved and interested in things, maybe their mind off of something. And you guys are doing that, so we appreciate it. Absolutely. Don't stop now. Absolutely, there's more work to be done. And we are not stopping. The The mission continues forward. And just because uh, we've done such great work so far does not mean we are stopping. We we are continuing this for as far as we can see. And uh, we, we are can, yeah. excited to have you guys along as a team with us. And let us not forget the best team in Star Wars. I'm honestly embarrassed we didn't have it on our list, Drew. We, well, it's, <sighs> it's one of those things. It's kind of like a warm blanket. You just want to keep it to yourself from time to time. That's fair. So let us never forget the greatness that is Batch 8. Hi-ho. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away.